0: We celebrate, Lord, we celebrate this day. We celebrate the opportunity we have to hear your word. We celebrate the chance to be in worship together. To pour into us in these moments and let us hear the words that we need to hear the most. Let us listen to you and your presence in us. And may we learn from this story in John the opportunities that we have to know you as the Good Shepherd and what you're calling us to believe and to do. Support so of these words that I have now. May it be acceptable and pleasing to you and may they help each one of us to grow closer to you. In Jesus Christ's name, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask this and the people of God said together, Amen. Can you remember a time when someone failed or exceeded your expectations. Get a time in your head to think about that. A time when someone failed or exceeded your expectations. I've had those moments, you know, when when you expect something out of somebody else and they didn't live up to it and you just feel disappointed. Maybe you felt angry. You expected something more than you got. Maybe you even thought to yourself, you thought the fact is, that I know this person can do more than they're doing. And so that's why you had higher expectations. Or maybe somebody exceeded those expectations where it just went above it. And, you know, that's always the biggest thing. You think about it across the way. You want to know why Chick-fil-A is so busy and you can never get in there? Because no matter what, they exceed expectations. There's a reason why. It isn't just the chicken. I'm sure the chicken's part of it, but they exceeded expectations. Our friends next door, Teriyaki Madness, are going to open up on Wednesday Thursday. I hope you'll stop by get to know them. They are part of our community. Chris and Charmy, the owners, have been over here several times, have connected with us. They're doing a, a fundraiser for the Homebound Meals Program already. We'll be doing that once a month or something like that, a, a fundraiser. But, but the whole point is they consider us to be neighbors. If you'll see all their posts, they say, Our neighbors, and I say back to them, Our neighbors, teriyaki madness, not a business. Our neighbors. Our neighbors. Their job's going to be, and I'm sure they're very aware of that is, whenever a new restaurant opens up, what has to happen? You have to exceed expectations. Otherwise, on Hendersonville and every other group in the world, somebody's whining about the service and everything else and the food and everything else, and before you know it, you're done. If you don't exceed expectations in your business, then you don't really go anywhere. In life... Exceeding expectations is what gets you into college. It's what gets you into the first jobs that you have. It's what it's what gets you into the places you want to go when you exceed expectations because expectations most people meet those. People that stand out exceed those things. So exceeding expectations or failing expectations. There were all kinds of expectations about what the Jews, about the Messiah and what he would be like when he came. And the incident today from John, from John 10 where we're going to land, verses 22 if you want to follow along. Also you can use our Version Bible event to follow along on your phone through Version and see all the notes and everything. It takes place on the feast of the dedication or Hanukkah. Jesus has been in Jerusalem since his arrival for the festival of Booths in chapter 7. And he's teaching regularly in the temple. And his teaching stirs up all kinds of discussion concerning his identity and his origin and his authority. Who is this man? And it results in a division among the people about who he is. Some believe that he is the Messiah. Others believe that he is demon-possessed, or worse, a blasphemer who deserves to die for what he is saying. And after the first part of the Jesus part of I am the Good Shepherd, the part that many of us know, I am the Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd, our name. At the beginning of John 10, there's a similar divided experience when he says, I'm the good shepherd. Many of them were saying he has a demon and he's out of his mind. Why listen to him? Others were saying, "These these are not the words of one who is a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And we don't know how much time has passed since the last discussion and where this story picks up after that. This is where it starts in verse 22. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was the winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. See, the Jews asked Jesus the question that is put to him in the Holy Week trial. He gives him the same answer as He gave him then. And it reminds us that Jesus doesn't not always answer the questions the way that we want. Amen. He doesn't just simply answer questions, usually very straightforward. People gather around Jesus, demand that He tells them plainly if He's the Messiah. The problem is, of course, is regardless of what Jesus says or does, it's not going to be the answer that they want. Just not. To the festival, dedication was a celebration of light. You know, Hanukkah, those eight crazy nights, all about lighting, a light each night, festival of lights. But the Jews at this time remained in the dark. They were blind to the mystery of Jesus. And like too, we we have our blind spots. We have our places of not listening. They're just blind. We just can't see. We can't hear. Maybe the truth is trying to confront us on some issue. There's something we have to deal with that we know we need to deal with but we keep pushing it off to the side and it's a blind spot for us and we can't see it because we're not listening. We don't want to listen. If I close my ears and Open my, close my eyes and open my ears, I hear Jesus saying, listen to me. Listen to me. Not all the other voices in your life. Listen to me. It was obvious that Jesus' words and actions failed to meet the expectations of the religious leaders. And so it begs the question for us, how does Jesus exceed expectations of what we expect? Or does He? Do we struggle with the fact that He doesn't seem to be doing what He's supposed to be doing? I don't feel His presence. I I don't hear Him. I don't see Him. He seems to have abandoned me. Or does He exceed expectations like you're like, well, I thought He would do this, but He's really done this. I can't believe how much He's done for me. I can't believe that he would leave the 99 and go to the 1. That's not an expectation I had. In verse 25, Jesus replies that he's already told them they did not believe. Maybe it appears like it's a mere misunderstanding. They're just not on the same page, miscommunication. However, what seems to be happening here is that those questioning Jesus are looking for a particular type of answer. They're not really asking the question that they're asking. They want an answer in a particular way, and Jesus is not giving it to them. It's not that He has not answered the question, but He's not answered the question in the way they expect to hear it. You ever had that happen? You ask a question, and the answer you get back is just like, that's not even what I asked you. Yes, it is. And the tone of Jesus' answers indicates he sees their questioning as hostile. This is not friendly questioning that's going on. It's hostile. If only we had more evidence. People say it all the time. I would believe in God if only there was more evidence. That's what they're saying. The cry of the people of Jesus' time is still heard today, right? Perhaps we can hear it ourselves. I just need more evidence to really believe. I pretend to believe or I sort of believe, but I'm going to need a lot more proof before I can really believe in this Jesus. And our habits often prompt us to look for more. More. I need more evidence. Making it difficult for us to accept that we have enough. Because we're always looking for more. Somehow we're going to have enough evidence to make the decision that we don't have enough already. Maybe, maybe if we stop looking for more and we look with the eyes of faith, then one could really see the truth concerning Jesus. If we look to Him instead of more evidence, but really look to Him to listen. The more I claim, the more I search for, the less can I realize how much I have. Because I'm always looking for more. I'm never here with what I have. It's always more. If you ever notice, a squirrel never knows when to stop collecting nuts. There is no end. If you go to a tree which a squirrel has put nuts into, the tree, if it's hollow, will be filled all the way to the top. And they'll keep putting that in it. There is no end. There's never enough. Because it's instinct. They're created with that instinct. And we can get in that same place where it's never enough. If I'm able to say that what I have is enough, I may be better able to recognize the voice of Jesus. If I find myself saying that I have nothing, maybe because I say that, then... I will be filled with the things that really matter. Not be so full that I can't take anything else in because my life is so full of the other stuff besides Jesus. How can Jesus fill us if our life is full of everything else? A glass can only hold so much. Something has to be taken out before the glass can hold more. Is your glass full of Jesus? Is it full of everything else in life? Because that will determine if I'm able to allow God to give me what I need. Because God, you may say, hey, God, I need this. God, I, I need this. But God's like, your glass is so full now, I can't do anything. You are so completely covered by everything else in life. There is no place for me to even pour into you because you're so full. Maybe in order to hear Jesus' answer to our questions, we need to let go of what we want to hear. Listen to what Jesus is saying. You know how that is? When we ask a question, we want to hear a certain answer. When we don't hear it, then we act like that's not really the answer. That happens a lot with things like when the answer is no. Most of us don't like the answer no for anything. And so we're like, well, did you really say no? Was that really Jesus talking to me? Is that really God? Uh, Maybe not. Maybe it wasn't God God because God would say no to me about that. This is really important to me. And God would want me to have it, obviously, or be able to do it or whatever... Sometimes the answer is just no, amen. And you may find out later later on why the answer is no. You may not. Sometimes we're not listening what the real answer is. Although Jesus' detractors have been told the truth, they did not comprehend. Maybe you have sometimes felt like these people wishing for a plain sight from God. You know, a plain signal. A well, if God would just appear in the heavens and all of a sudden would just. Put a lightning bolt right down. I would believe in a minute. Of course you would. So would the rest of the world. It wouldn't require faith. It doesn't require faith. We want plain signs. And yet Jesus talks in parables all the time. He never makes it clear. He never makes it easy. He requires us to really think and wrestle... What they're really saying in those parables, instead of forcing us to believe, we're not forced to believe anything. We're led on a journey to find that belief ourselves. You see, because believing is a decision we must all make, you can't be forced to believe. You have to decide to believe. And sometimes we do not believe what we hear because it sounds too good. It sounds too big. Many have heard the phrase, "It is if it is too good to be true, it what?" That's not true with Jesus. It's not true. But yet we all know that phrase because that's how our lives are lived in the earthly world. If it's too good to be true. It probably is. We've been hurt enough times or experienced enough things that makes us feel that way. But that's not how it works in God's community. That's not how it works in God's world. It's not true in God's kingdom with God's promises. But maybe are there things that God's communicated with you you've chosen not to believe? God has told you, but you're like, I just can't believe that. I, I can't believe that's going to happen, all right? It's just too big, I, I don't understand. people all the time will, will you know decide that you know my life's not really going to amount to anything or it's going to be you know here, and then God has bigger plans for them, and they end up being here, and they can't imagine how they got to here. You don't know what God's plan is for you and how big that plan might be. And you have to ask yourself, what is about that wonderful thing that God promises to you that scares you away from the wonderful thing? That's so wonderful, but it's just like, I can't do that. It's just too scary. I I cannot go out and do that. There's no way I can do that. It's just too scary. My dream is to do this. I feel like God has called me to do this, but I can't do that. It's just too scary. Jesus also replies, The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me. But you don't believe. All the miraculous signs that he had done, he had healed. The blind man could see. All these things that they had seen him do, and still they didn't believe. Because those questioning Jesus perhaps wanted a yes or a no. We just want a yes or a no. We just want a yes or a no. Jesus, however, notes his actions have been clear and plain. You've already got your yes. The things that Jesus is able to do come not from human power, but divine power. Anybody in here have the miraculous power to be able to heal the blind? If it was given to you, you'd have it from God. It isn't human. It's of God. Most of us do not have that ability. So that should have been the clue for them. And in this passage, in this verse, Jesus reminds us that how we behave speaks loudly or perhaps more loudly than our words even do. I mean, think about it. God and Jesus are also united through Jesus' actions because Jesus was doing what God had sent him to do. The work of Jesus cannot be separated from who he is. The work that we do for God in service to God, cannot be separated from who we are. We do those things that we do to help other people, to change lives, because we live through Jesus to do that. And so the question is, what do your works communicate about your identity, your discipleship? Do the works that you do in the world, do they really proclaim Jesus? Do they really show glory to God? Or do they bring glory to yourself? Are you the one that's highlighted and lifted up as opposed to God? I was talking to somebody yesterday and, and about um, how they were dealing with something and they were able to get through it and, and what they were going through and everything. And in the midst of it, it was like people around them were looking at them going, I don't know how you do it. And this person said, it's not me. It's God through me. I couldn't do it without God. The thing I always say all the time, people, is is that I don't know how you live in the world without God being involved in your life. Not even just the hard times, just the normal times. I don't know what my life would look like without God being in it. It's so integrated in everything that I do that it, it, it's a part of everything. I don't know how people how they, how they struggle through life not having any kind of basis of trying to figure out how to make decisions or what's true or who to turn to when times get rough and above and beyond. When my dad was near death in December, and, you know, and just the, those moments of, I don't know how you get through things like that without God. I don't know. I, I couldn't have gotten through that without God. Update, my dad's sitting home in his chair You know, after the fifth time in the hospital, I guess, but he's been home all week, so that's a good thing. And he says he's good. But if he wasn't good, it would still be good. There's a difference. I don't know how folks do that. In what ways do your works and actions show others what your call from God is? What is your call from God? Are you living that out and showing that out into the world by how God has called you? You understand your call, you're, you know your call, and you're putting it into place? Everywhere we go, we should be a shining example of the glory of God within us. Not that we're perfect. But they should see Christ in us when we go places. That something is different. But you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. Once again, we see that Jesus sees this not as an honest questioning, but a hostile attack. He's being attacked by them when he describes them not of his flock. They follow hirelings. They don't follow a shepherd. And the response of the crowd that's not given in the gospel reading today is they decide to pick up stones and throw them at Jesus for his answer. And they accuse him of blasphemy. That's the the behind-the-scenes part of this story. And this shows that they understand quite well he's making the claim that he was equal with God and they don't like that answer at all. They're giving them a chance to be able to say no. And then the verse most of us know probably. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus says his sheep hear his voice. They listen to me. They hear my voice. Sheep hear the voice of a shepherd. And immediately sheep come to the voice of the shepherd. Hopefully, You call your dog, it comes to your voice. Maybe. Perhaps. You call your cat, probably not so much. But there are lots of, you know, you know the voice of your children, or of friends, or family. You know, they're distinctive voices that you hear, and you can sort them out through a crowd. Because our brain gets attuned that way. That's how it works. And so they hear the shepherd's voice and immediately go after the shepherd. They are the true followers in the image of the shepherd and the sheep in the words of Jesus. That's what it means to be a true follower. It means to follow the shepherd's voice. And we have to discern the shepherd's voice amidst all the other voices that clamor for our attention in our lives. And there are many other voices. And some of those voices will even say they are from God. And they are legion. There are many, many, many competing voices out there telling us what to do. But we do not always recognize how contrary they are to the voice of the Good Shepherd. I hear folks say things all the time. I'm like going, you don't really believe that, do you? But they do. God helps those who help themselves. Uh, where's that in Scripture. If you're a Christian, good things will happen to you. Mm, Where's that in Scripture? There are all kinds of things. People say all the time, and I'm like, Have you really prayed about this? Have you really studied your Bible about this? Have you really gone to God in discernment to really know what this really means for you? Because those voices are very powerful. There are many voices that tell us how to grow closer to God. They say we have to have a predetermined religious experience or believe the correct doctrine or reach a higher level of knowledge or a higher level of morality and the the more that we go higher, the closer we'll be to God. None of those things are what Jesus says. That is religion versus faith. Those things are very different. By contrast, the good shepherd tells us that everything depends on belonging to him. Amen? Amen? That everything depends on belonging to Him. Not what we do. It's who we're with. Who determines what happens to us. And how we are. Never does our status before God depend on how we feel. On having the right experience. On being free of doubt. Or what we accomplish in life. That is not how God looks at us. It depends on one thing only. That we are known By the good shepherd. That's it. And Jesus comes across as being very committed to those he's been given to save. He's very protective. He's very vigilant. That's what a shepherd does. He protects the sheep and keeps them in relationship with himself. He keeps them around him so the sheep are gathered together so they don't wander off once they are there. But if they did wander off, he would go and get them. And he appreciates their being receptive to his voice. They hear my voice and they follow me. That's what he wants from us. To hear his voice and to follow him. That's it. And the voice of Jesus is heard in prayer. It's heard in studying his word. It's in gathering in our small groups with other people and listening to God through them. Because sometimes somebody else may speak a word of God to you that you need to hear. But if you're not gathering together with anybody else, you may never hear that word. You may never know that place. It calls us to follow with love, knowing that we're totally safe in following Him. But it isn't the same for everyone. And we have to ask the question to ourselves, how do we hear God's voice? How do we hear God's voice? How do you hear God's voice? What's the path for you? To hear God's voice. How does our belief in God help us to hear God's voice and follow God in the world? What do we believe? and How does that affect how we hear? If we don't believe very much, it probably is really hard to hear God's voice. If we have a strong belief then that voice might be clearer to be able to hear. How do we as good shepherd foster opportunities to worship and worship in missions and small groups to hear God's voice? where's the space for that Where do we allow God's voice to speak and to gather together and to to go deeper for each of us to hear God's voice follow God in the world that's Part of our responsibility as a community is getting those places where that can happen. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. So the voice of the Good Shepherd is is a voice that liberates rather than oppresses. It does not say, do this and then maybe you might be good enough to be one of my sheep. You pass all these tests jump through all these hoops, then maybe you might be good enough to be one of my sheep. You see, through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, God has claimed us, amen? That we belong to God, no one can change that. Just that Jesus trusts that no one can snatch us from his Father's hands. He trusts that nothing can do that, only ourselves. But nothing else can do that. And so this is the thing. I too must trust that no one can snatch me from his hand. But here's the thing. This is the rub. If I'm going to trust that, then that means I have to place myself in his hand. Right, Debbie? If I'm going to trust that no one can snatch me from his hand, then I have to place myself in his hand before I can even live in that promise of trust. And that's a wide swath between this to this. Right? To fully trust and allow yourself to be in that hand. That's what true discipleship means. Placing my trust in his hand that I cannot be taken away. It doesn't rely on me. But there's a fear with that. There's a fear of loss of who we are. There's a fear of it's not going to work. Is a fear that it's not going to happen the right way. It doesn't mean that discipleship is even an easy road, because Jesus often describes it the contrary—that it's a hard road, that it's a tough road, that it's a long road. But it does know we know where the road ends. You know that's. Part of the thing is, if you know where the road ends, it makes it a lot easier to go someplace, right? When you have no idea how long it's going to take you and it just keeps going on and on and on, you're like, will this trip ever end? And you ever realize when you go back, it seems shorter? Because you kind of know where you're going back. You know you've kind of got it figured out. Well, when you're in his hand, you know where the road ends, We know that we have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us walk the road because we have our hand in His. And the Holy Spirit will guide us. We also know this is not because of who we are, but because of whose we are and who Jesus is. Not because of anything that we have done. To believe in Jesus is also to belong to those who hear His voice. And no one can take us away from the Shepherd unless we choose to be taken away. And he says, what my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. And he says, the Father and I are one. So as Jesus continues to speak, he finds a way to assert that although they may not be sure of his identity, he knows who he is. It doesn't require for them to understand who he is. Jesus' focuses on being one with God, and that meaning has been debated, but what we can say is we know for sure that Jesus is more than a good teacher, that he's more than a good leader, that he's more than a good miracle worker, that Jesus' connection with God is different from the connection that God has with humans, that the unity of God and Jesus together also makes Jesus one who is worthy and deserving of our praise and our worship and our lifelong devotion. Amen? We know that. Lots of folks think Jesus is a good teacher. His words are great to live by. But that's not who he is for us. And he can do miracles, but he's a miracle worker. He's just a good leader, and I can learn leadership from him. And while we should believe in Jesus, understand this. Our believing in Jesus does not mean that he ceases to be Jesus. Jesus believes in you whether you believe in him or not. It doesn't change whether you believe in him. He's still Jesus. He doesn't require our belief to be able to understand himself. I tell folks all the time, I don't believe in God. I said it's okay if that's what you believe. I said, but understand this God still believes in you. Whether you believe in God or not. It's not a requirement that you have to believe. No one can take away what the Father has given to Jesus, he says. And no one can take away what God has given to us. Whatever our call and our gifts, our particular identity in Christ, they're likely to be mocked and belittled or looked down upon. But none of that can be taken away. All of that is God given to us that no one can take away from us. No matter how often this happens, our call and our gifts, our identity never cease to exist. You will go through hard times being a Christian. There will be some around you who will not understand, who will be antagonistic towards it. It does not change who you are, it does not change who you are called to be. It doesn't give you permission also to treat them differently. At the heart of this text is the question of Jesus' identity who is this man? Those who came to him wanted to know if he was the Messiah. And it's not clear why they were asking this question. It's not clear if they heard others say something about him, whether he had said something in the way about himself, or whether they were asking, hoping that he would say who he was. Whatever the reason, this is the identity part of this text. It's important, critically important to understand Jesus of Messiah. For them and for us. Because the Messiah carries particular authority. Someone who is not the Messiah, but a good teacher and leader does not. If Jesus was a good teacher and leader, he would not have the same authority over my life that he does. There are plenty of good teachers and moral authorities out there and leaders that I look to. But they are not the ones that drive my life. They are not the ones that I sent to in my belief. In this text, Jesus responds. He's already answered the question on this side of resurrection. And Christians are content to the answer to this question is, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. The answer to that question for us is yes. That yes, you're the Messiah. You have to decide that question, but it has to be decided it is a yes or no question. Is Jesus the Messiah or is he not? Is he the Son of God? Or not? Is he the one who died on the cross and resurrected for our sakes and gives us eternal life and frees us from our sins? Or not? You can decide which one, but you can't be in the middle. It doesn't work. Because if you're going to send someone to be the son of God, you can't do the other. So Jesus is the Messiah. He wants to lead us to safety, to the fullness of life. He wants us to listen to his voice. He waits for our time to enter the space of ...of our life when we're ready to receive Him. He won't force His way in. He'll wait until you're ready to ask Him to come in. And time with Jesus never wasted. Whether in listening to His Word and mulling over it... ...or just being with Him in peaceful silence. Sometimes, folks, we just need peaceful silence... ...to soak in God. And not fill it with anything else. Not even Scripture. Just soaking in God. And prayer is the comforting relationship of a sheep to a shepherd. It's relaxing into our mystery of being loved by God. Sometimes we just need to be loved by God. Not do anything, not say anything, but just relax into that mystery of being loved by God. Amen? Amen? And so often we don't ever stop to do that. So the two questions I leave with today to close this off is, why do you need Jesus? Why do you need Jesus? And the second question is, how do you continue to listen to Jesus? How do you do that? How do you continue to listen to Jesus? And if you're not listening already, how are you going to start? Because if you can answer the question as, "I really don't know what Jesus is saying to me," then you've really got to start to figure out how it is you're going to be able to hear. Prayer, solitude, Scripture, other people whatever it might be, but something that helps you to be able to listen to Jesus. In the upper room, the disciples were listening to Jesus as He says the words of the Seder meal, the Passover meal. As He gave thanks to His Father in Heaven, Creator of the heavens and the earth, Giver of the fruit of the vine, the bread of the earth. And he broke it and gave it to them. And he and he said to them, He said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Every time that you eat it, remember. Remember that I love you. When supper was over, he took the cup, and it's the fourth cup of redemption that he lifted up from the Passover meal. The redemption. For sins, the redemption of the world, the redemption of each one of us, that the lost sheep would be found and given new life. And he would bring that new life and he would pour out his own as the shepherd to save the sheep. Drink from this all of you, the blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So I invite you to this table and to these altar rails this morning to think about what it means to listen. To spend perhaps a moment just saying, Lord, speak to me, I'm ready to listen. Or Lord, help me to figure out how I need to listen to you the most. As you receive, know his love and his presence. And know he is the good shepherd who gathers the sheep. Let those who are serving come forward to serve as we pray. Gracious God, may this bread and this juice be for us the reminders of the great love that you had for each one of us, how you gathered those who were lost and the least and the last and poured out your life for them as well as those that were found. May we know your spirit and presence through these simple bread and the simple juice this morning to pour out your Holy Spirit on them now and on us. May they be for us the reminders of your great love. In Jesus Christ's name we pray and the people of God said together, Amen. shepherd. Something and you're trying to figure out what it means, come talk to me. Pray to God. Say, please help me understand this. Talk to your friends. Talk to your spiritual advisors around you, people who know, who listen, let them pray about it too. If you've never heard his voice before, listen for it. He's waiting for you. He's waiting to bring you into the sheepfold together and be Let him speak to you and listen to him. Amen. Go with open hearts and open ears.